All right. Congratulations to you runners out there. Nice job. I also, yeah, also ran the mar uh, half marathon this weekend, so that, that was fun. You may have noticed uh, that I have glasses. It's kind of obvious, I know. I wear them because I can see better with my glasses. Now, not all of you wear corrective lenses, but we all have metaphorical lenses that we wear in our lives. Maybe you've heard the term rose-colored glasses. These are the lenses that people wear, and when they look at the world, it just looks great. It's rainbows and sunshine. We could talk about a different set of glasses, those that are maybe half-empty, and those people who might see the world where, you know, when they just look at it, something is missing. Something is always missing. Well, our lenses that we use to see the world with are our set of ideas or assumptions that we have that color our world, shape the way that we see it. And in today's passage, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to see that Paul's going to give, give us a prescription for our lenses to see the world with. So if you want to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, we are going to be reading that together. This is part of our Community Bible Experience series. We, are, we have invited everybody at church to read through the entire New Testament story. We're reading it in chronological order with a special book that removes all the verse and chapter marks, so it's a little bit more like a novel. Uh, so this has been a fun practice. If you haven't jumped into that yet, you can still get on, in on it. We're only two weeks in. Technically, we've only read two books. So, and you don't have to catch up. You can just start reading with us uh, this week and pick up where we are, and maybe someday you'll catch up. Uh, the Word of God does not return void no matter what you read. It's good for you to read. All right, so last week we were reading, if you were reading with us, we were reading the story of, from the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. And in that story, you may have run across and remember reading about Paul. He went on a number of missionary journeys, one of which brought him to the city of Corinth. And he spends about a year and a half in Corinth telling people about the good news of Jesus. And many people respond. Then he moves on to other areas around uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And word gets back to him that the Corinthian church is in serious trouble. They are a complete mess. They are falling apart. They are mad at each other, divided over numerous things. And so he writes a letter in response to that, reminding them of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's where we're going to be this week. We're going to look at that letter. We're going to look at the end of that letter but because we're talking about the end of the letter, I also want to give you a little bit of a summary of kind of what precedes that, what leads up to that. So the Corinthians church is really struggling with divisions. One person says, I follow Paul. Another person says, I follow Peter. And another says, well, I follow Apollos. None of that's good. He goes on to talk about sexual immorality, and he says, one man is literally boasting that he's sleeping with his mom. That's disgusting. And then he goes on to talk about food issues. They couldn't figure out what was kosher and what they could or could not eat. 
And then he goes on to talk about how they should worship together and how they're fighting over how they worship. So in many ways, as you think about that, it's really not that different from today. (laughs) We're still struggling with some of those same things in our world. We still struggle with division, sexual sin, and what to put in or on our bodies. Did you catch that? Can we talk about a vaccine debate today? I'm just kidding. We're not going to go there. Uh, Having dealt with four of five major problems that he's going to address in this letter, he pauses briefly to remind them of something that connects all of these problems together. And we're going to read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to open up your Bible or follow along in the screen or online. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. This is pretty important, he says. So what is it? That gospel word there is, in Greek, this word euangelion. And it's really two words smashed together, you meaning good, And angelion, meaning news or announcement. So it's good announcement or good news. So that is what we are talking about. And what is so good about this? Well, he's going to tell us what that is. But first, he kind of gives us this little window. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. So he's establishing tradition He's establishing authority. This isn't something that I've made up. This is something that's been passed on to me, and I'm now passing it on to you. And what's he passing on? He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This verse is a summary of the entire Christian belief. There's a lot packed into this verse. That Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and raised again on the third day. Paul later says in this section that if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is completely useless. And so the question that we have before us today is why are these things, these particular things, so important And why in the world is this good news? It sounds kind of strange. Well, here's the thing. Even though the world has been created for good, it's been damaged by evil. Corinthians understood this, and the word that we see in here is Christ died for our sins. They understand the word sin as being ways that they had not lived up to God's intent for their lives. And what we see is that the, uh, interestingly enough, the Confirmation students discussed this this morning, and uh, they studied this in Genesis. In Genesis, we have this responsibility that's given to us, the human responsibility of image-bearing, bearing image of God. So we become representatives of who God is and what God is about. And this includes things like our morality, 
the ways that we live our lives. But it's so much more than that. It's about loving, mercy, and doing justice as well. And when we fail to do that, when we fail to live up to that standard of morality, of loving mercy and doing justice, either as individuals or as a society, we call that sin. It's a simple definition for us as we think about the word sin. You may have heard that before. It's when we don't live up to the intentions that God has for us. We fail to represent God and who he is and what God is about. Now, moving on, to understand the death part that Christ died for our sins, and specifically the kind of death that Jesus died, we want to look historically. So the cross was the most brutal form of death that you could experience during that time. It was public humiliation. And it had a social meaning. It had this sense that we are superior and you are inferior. So the leaders who were killing Jesus, who were putting him on the cross, were saying, we are superior, you are not. And here's the thing. The early Christians understood that Jesus had claimed to be the king over all of earth. If you're another king, and somebody else is saying that they're king, that's a problem. And you're going to assert your authority over them, right? You're going to squash that and say, nope, we are king. I am king. Our regime is in charge. And the early Christians understood this, that the rulers of this world were using their power and authority to assert that Jesus was not king. They were. And by putting Jesus on the cross and killing him, they thought that they had won. They'd put an end to this guy. And a dead king is not a good king. So the burial was also important because some people had suggested that this was maybe a spiritual resurrection. Jesus hadn't really died. This was a spiritual resurrection But Paul's very clear that this is a bodily resurrection, and this is important, and he'll go on to establish that as we go throughout the passage. So the bodily resurrection was the sign that Jesus had overcome and could not be overcome. Death could not hold Jesus down. The world could not assert their power over Jesus. The evil and corrupt rulers of the world could not assert their superiority because Jesus was superior. Jesus was king. And there was nothing that they could do about that. They had tried to kill him, and they could not hold him down. And what's interesting about Jesus' kingship, about his authority, it doesn't come through power. It does not come through the corruption of violence and death as all the other rulers of this world did. It came through the laying down of his life. And it was all in accordance to what the scriptures had said in the Old Testament would happen. 
So for these and other Christians, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then what Jesus had said at the very beginning of his ministry, back in Luke chapter 4, if you've been reading this with us, was true. Jesus could recover sight for the blind. Jesus could set the oppressed free. In Luke chapter 4, it says it this way, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, was really significant. It meant all debts were canceled. It meant all, all these things were happening in the Jewish world. And N.T. Wright, uh, you used a lot of his material from the day the revolution began. If you want to read it, it's a really fascinating read. He has this to say. It meant that the darkest and strongest power in the world, the power of death itself, had been defeated. And if that was true, a new power, a different sort of power from all others, had been unleashed into the world. That is amazing. So Paul follows all this good news up with some important facts. He says in verse 5, talking about Jesus' resurrection, and that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect, no. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. So there's a number of things in this section. A uh, number of claims that Paul makes in this section. Let's get down to the most important ones. Number one is that lots of people have seen Jesus. So this claim that Jesus had bodily raised could be verified. There were plenty of people that you could go around to at, this, at the time of this writing and ask about this, and they would say, yes, I saw Jesus die, buried, and rose again. The second thing is this. He's talking a lot about himself and about this abnormally born, about being the least of the apostles, and that he received God's grace. That he worked hard and that he received uh, God's grace, or it's an example of God's grace. And what's important for us uh, today is that this is not about Paul. It's not about anyone. This is about Jesus. It's about the gospel and about the power of the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, the ways that we've not lived up to what God intended for us. It's that God then died for our sins, was buried, and raised again. So again, N.T. Wright has this to say. Christianity isn't a set of new ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. 
It isn't even a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes, and indeed gives energy to all of those things, but at its very heart, it is something very different. It is the good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same. And those who believe it and live by it, thank God, will never be the same. And it opens up the possibility of a whole new reality. The Bible Project puts it this way if you want to watch that. The gospel isn't just moral advice. It's not a recipe for private spirituality. It's an announcement about Jesus that opens up a whole new reality. Seeing every part of, the go- of life through the gospel. And the question for us today is, what does it look like for us to see every part of life through the lens of the gospel? Well, as you read through Corinthians, and I hope you do this week, I hope you're going to see that they couldn't unify around a teacher, but they could unify around the gospel. I hope that you're going to see this week that they struggled with their sexuality, but the gospel gave them motivation. Instead of sleeping around uh, with their mom, it gave them a reason for why they weren't going to do that. Because they were, their bodies that they were living in today were going to be, go with them into the future, into the future life. And it gave them the power to love others more than themselves. And finally, it gave them victory over death, death itself. So what does that mean for us today? Well, I think it means we want to focus on the gospel. That's the message that we want to talk about here. We want to encourage you to talk about as you go about your week, to think about. Practically uh, speaking, I think it means that we don't say negative things about other churches. Uh, Churches that are preaching the good news, we would never say anything negative about them because we're in this together. And if the good news is preached at that church, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures, then let's praise God that that's being proclaimed just as Paul did when he said that about the others who were saying that in his day. It also says something about how we live our lives. Because how we live our lives today matters. How we take care of our bodies physically matters. It also matters in terms of how we live out our sexuality. One day our bodies will be raised again, and we will be in a new heaven and a new earth. And how we treat those bodies now will impact that someday. It also gives us power to love others more than we love ourselves. So as we think about the gospel and how God loves us, we are able to love others more than we love ourselves. We have this acronym that we use here at Crossview called BLESS. Begin with prayer, listen with care, eat, with, eat together, serve others, and share your story. We want you to be blessing people. And we are able to do that because of the gospel. So I asked Cheryl Johnson, uh, who helps run our production team, if I could share her story. Because over the past 18 months, 
Her understanding of the Jesus story, I think, as I've watched you, has changed her life. So 18 months ago, as Cheryl put it, Jesus was sort of on the shelf. And she would say, you know, going to church, if she went, was about checking the box or going through the motions. But things changed when she joined our small group. She started to study the word of God with a group of people, and she started to understand the Jesus story in a different way. Now, she sees Jesus in all sorts of areas of her life, and she talks about them with us. And everything, I think, really came to a head this summer for her in a number of ways, one of which was watching her sister pass away. As she was watching her sister move from this life to the next, there was sadness for sure, she would say. But there's also a joy that she had. Knowing that one day, she too would join her sister in heaven with Jesus. She would be a part of that new heaven and new earth and that she had victory over death. She said it's also helped her with her kids. She often finds herself worrying about her kids, as parents often do. She wants them to do well and to succeed in life. It's not wrong. But Jesus has given her a different perspective. When her kids make a mistake and they mess up, because kids do that, right? We do that. She remembers that Jesus is with them and that they are learning opportunities. And what I love about Cheryl's story is this. Number one, she understands that through Jesus, we have victory over death. And she saw that in her sister's life. And the second thing that I love about her story is that the Bible has begun to permeate her entire life. And it's changing the way that she's interacting with other people. And I would say, Cheryl wouldn't say this, that it has become, maybe you would, it has become the lens through which she sees the world. She sees scripture and she sees how it connects to her life today. So what I want to ask you today is this, in closing. Is the gospel permeating your life? Is it the lens through which you see the world? And what would it look like for that reality of the gospel to impact your entire life? What would it look like for it to impact your relationships with others, your sexuality, your worship? How would those things change because you, the gospel is now the lens through which you see the world. And if you don't follow Jesus, does this good news that we can have victory over death, that we can, in fact, be unified under King Jesus, and that we can have the power to love one another more than we love ourselves, does that sound like something that you would be interested in? Because we would love to help you connect with Jesus today. We believe it's the best thing that you can experience in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the early church and for Paul and his work sharing the good news with them. And we ask, Jesus, 
that you would make us aware of the good news in a new way, that it would help us to understand our lives in a new way, that we would be transformed by the good news. And I pray that if there are some here uh, that don't know the good news, Lord, that they would find you, find the good news. And I pray if there are some here uh, today that are ready to begin to follow you, that they would, they would do that. They would begin to follow you today. We pray these things in your good and awesome and loving name. Amen.